Well, good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. What a wonderful time of, of worship. We had uh, such a wonderful time in our first service. Uh, it was full uh, as we had opportunity to participate in communion and baby dedication and we had five baptisms and and it just was an exciting uh exciting time this morning and we are continuing to ride that wave because this morning uh in our service we also have uh baptisms and, and obviously had opportunity to engage in communion it's always a wonderful time to experience uh what the church over the ages has celebrated right the the, the baptism of 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 new believers uh, the, the dedication of our little ones, uh, the partaking of communion, the proclamation of God's word and worship. And um, uh, it is a privilege to be able to do that. It's wonderful to do that uh, together. I enjoy uh, having uh, communion and baptism on the same days. Uh, it's such a beautiful picture of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that in Christ saying, this is my body broken for you, right? Do this in remembrance of me and my blood shed for you. And then we see that Christ in, 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 the, water, in the waters of baptism, it, it points to Christ's death, his giving of his body, his shedding of his blood. We identifying with that death, burial, and resurrection as the only means of our salvation and entering into the waters of baptism publicly and saying, I, I, I identify as a believer with Christ's death, with his burial and resurrection. And, and the church has been doing that for centuries. And it is such a beautiful picture, both in communion and, and baptism of our great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know you have a great salvation? Do you know that? I mean, do you, do you realize how great a salvation? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, the, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. The title of my message is that, so great a salvation. So great a salvation. I pray God the Holy Spirit helps you to see the significance and the awesome extent that Christ went to in securing your salvation I think there's a, a tremendous um, danger in the church when we take for granted the great salvation that has been provided for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, the reality is, it, something I said this morning I, 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 is, is um, really helpful to, for us to understand. You will never understand your value to God until you understand the value of what Christ has done for you. I'm gonna repeat that. You will never understand your value to God. And you know, a lot of people don't understand their value to God. A lot of people just think, well, God just puts up with them, right? And that, that, that he's like that, that, maybe that dysfunctional parent or spouse or friend or, or somebody that lets you down. And that's not how God sees you. God has a high value of you. But you'll never walk in that. You'll never fully understand your value to God until you understand the value of what God has done for you when you understand the extent that God went to so that we can experience this great salvation. The writer of Hebrews will ask the question in Hebrews 2 verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I want to encourage you and remind you this morning that we are recipients of a, of a great salvation secured for us by Jesus Christ. 
We're going to take a couple of moments and look at Peter's first epistle in chapter 1 as he highlights the beauty of our salvation this morning. And I pray that, again, that the Holy Spirit would, 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 would allow this to land on the, the soil of your heart and bring forth fruit that is, that is evidenced in, in a greater appreciation and love and awareness of your value in the eyes of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable that is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being regarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a powerful couple of verses that we see Peter opens up with. This incredible salvation that we are recipients. He says, he has caused us to be born again. I like that. He has paved the way. He has provided the way. He is the source behind your salvation. You say, what does that mean to be born again? That's what the, the religious leader, Nicodemus, had come to learn when, when he came and spoke to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not experience, you'll not understand, you'll not see the kingdom of God. The reality is every one of us, as Pastor Josh had said this morning, everyone has that same problem called sin. And because of that, we are born spiritually dead. And it is only by the work of Christ that we can be born again. And what Peter highlights here in his great salvation, he says, he has caused us to be born again, to be, to be made alive. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together in Christ Jesus. And then Peter highlight, highlights the fact that we have been born again to a living hope. I like that. To a living hope. Not a dead hope. You're not following some historical figure that walked the earth 2,000 years ago and you're following some dead religion. Our, our experience, our relationship is a living hope. We have a living Savior. Amen? It is a living hope that does not die, it does not cease, it does not fade away. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that we have this living hope. It is through the resurrection of Jesus that provides this, this newness of life as we, as we look at the waters of baptism and we recognize that the picture of what's going on there. Paul will write about this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. He says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. What a beautiful picture in baptism of our spiritual reality that we sit there dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we go down, we are dying in Christ and we are being raised together in newness of life. It is that salvation that has been secured for us by again, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He says, to an inheritance. What is that? to an inheritance. What is it? Well, we, hopefully, hopefully you have 
experience what it is to receive an inheritance. I don't know. Maybe, maybe one's waiting for you. You never know. But I know there is one waiting for you in God. We were born again to a living hope, to an inheritance. What is that? It's a gift that's been passed on by someone who loves you, right? Who someone left you a gift in their going. And what Paul is, what Peter is talking about is this, this imperishable inheritance that we have received in Christ. And I love what he says here, given to us from our Father. He says, this inheritance is imperishable. It's imperishable. In other words, it never ends. It doesn't stop. It lasts forever. It goes beyond this arena of time that we walk in. This inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ carries on into all of eternity. This great salvation that you have been a recipient of has no expiration date. There is no end on the timeline for that. It is an inheritance that is imperishable. It is an inheritance that is undefiled. Undefiled. In other words, it is, not, it is not corrupted by sin. It is undefiled. It is perfect. Why? Because it is the, the perfection of Christ that we stand in, that we are clothed in, his righteousness, right? So therefore, we are not tainted by that sin any longer. We stand clothed in Christ's righteousness. He says it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. I like that. This inheritance, this salvation, it's, it's unfading. It doesn't become less valuable over time. It doesn't cheapen over time. It doesn't become less significant over time. But if it seems less significant to you today than it did when you first experienced Christ, I'm not bringing into question the quality of that salvation but perhaps that's a time for us to do a self-examination to see, are we walking in the, the, in, in the pursuit of God? Are we going hard after him? Are we allowing ourselves to be distracted by the cares of this world and the, and the, the concerns of this life? Are we so caught up in the now that we fail to recognize the fact that we have been saved in Christ? Maybe you hear and say, well, you know, it kinda, sometimes it kind of feels like it's, it's fading. Why is that? Because, because we haven't yet, perhaps you haven't pressed into the depths of that glorious inheritance that has been yours in Christ. There's no flaw in the inheritance. There's no flaw in God's gift. There's the flaw in you, in me, when we are not pursuing him. We're not going after him. When we're not walking in obedience to him. When we're not walking in repentance in him. It feels like, well, where God, God, where did you go? God didn't go anywhere. And so the call is to come back to him, to experience the joy of that salvation. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance. Look, kept in heaven for you. I like that. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You know what? You can't lose something that's kept in heaven. It's not in your pocket. It's not in your heart. It's not in your makeup. It's not in your ability to follow through. This inheritance that has been secured for you in Jesus Christ is kept in heaven for you. If I had to keep it myself, I would have lost it a long time ago. But it is kept in heaven for me. 
Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul, Paul writes this, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Look, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so what is he talking about? He's talking about our position in Christ. Our new, our new position in Christ, in, 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 since we've come to faith in Christ, we are seated with him in heavenly places. And because we are seated with him in heavenly places, this inheritance, this salvation is kept in heaven where Jesus is seated at the right of the hand of the Father and we are seated with him. What a wonderful thing that that is. That ought not to create a sense of feeling, well, I guess that doesn't matter what I do. No, that ought to create a sense of love and admiration and a desire to walk in the love and obedience to him. Look what he says. He says, it's, we're seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There's your inheritance, by the way. There it is again now coming from the Apostle Paul. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we recognize that we this inheritance has been kept in heaven for you. How? Look at verse, the next one. It says, who by God's power. That's what keeps it there. God's power keeps it there. By God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This ought to create not a sense of insecurity, but a sense of assurance and security that makes us passionately pursue the lover of our souls. That's a great salvation, folks. And this inheritance is it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept by the power of God for you. And then he goes on to say, in this... In this inheritance, in this, you rejoice. Do we? Do you walk in that? Do you remind yourself of that? Do you, not, do, you, do you guard against the distractions of life and the cares of this world? Do you allow that to rob you of what is waiting for you, not only here, but on the other side? He says, in this, you rejoice. Look, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, Peter writes. So that the testing of your genuineness, or the, the gen, I'm sorry, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, in this Salvation, you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, if productive, if God is going to use that. See, here's, the, here's what we need to remember. 
The trials and tribulations of our faith do not come of our faith do not come arbitrarily. They do not shock God. He doesn't get a memo of what's going on in your life. He is sovereign over your life. And if he allows something into your life, he is purposely allowing that in to use it for your good, for your growth, for your sanctification, and for the building of your faith because it's that trial like fire applied to gold, it purifies, right? It brings all the dross to the surface, does it? Isn't that what happens? when we go through bad times, right? When things don't go our way and, and we're hurt and we're frustrated, what comes up is the stuff that doesn't belong, it doesn't, is not consistent with us as believers. That's the dross that God is, uh, is bringing to the surface to remove that so that our faith can rise to the top and it can bring glory and majesty to Jesus Christ. It's interesting, we gotta remember that this passage of scripture, this idea of, of you know, for a little while you're going through these various trials, this is written to a church that was, that was living during the time that they were under the control of the Roman Emperor Nero. Never, never before since that time has the church been under such, such serious and demonically influenced persecution than by under Nero. The church was experiencing emotional, physical, all kinds of persecution. And Peter reminds them that God is using the outward trials to develop their faith. This faith that is more precious than gold. Can I encourage you? You're not going to bring your trial with you to heaven, but you will bring your faith. You see, what God is working on right now is going to continue with you long after in the heavens. In the same way that fire refines and purifies gold, likewise trials work in us and result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Maybe you find yourself in the midst of a trial right now. Hopefully it's not the extent that they were experiencing to the, you know, the, the, the readers of, from Peter, but probably feels like that at times. Hurt is hurt no matter when it happens. Pain is pain no matter how it comes across. This instruction is to focus and rejoice in this living hope, this, this inheritance that will, that will outlast your trial. It'll outlast any setback, any hurt, any disappointment. For this salvation, unlike a trial, is eternal. It does not end. Hey, let's just look at it for a moment from an earthly point of view. If, if you had to endure some hard times for a little while, imagine you were asked to experience a real hard trial in your life, but you were told on the other side of that trial, you're going to be receiving, you're going to be receiving a deposit of $100 million. What would you be willing to endure for that price? Seriously. How would that reality impact the way you viewed those trials? You see, we look at the trials and we get so myopic, we so focus on it. But maybe if we could focus on what God's doing in us, what God is working in us. You see, this is not hypothetical. What awaits the child of God is far more than a financial deposit. 
but a complete inheritance from the creator of all things. And that inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you by the power of God. So I don't know what you're going through right now. And I don't want to make light of it. But make sure you're looking at it through the lens of where you're going and how you're growing. And God will use that for his glory and for your sanctification. Let's continue. He says in verse 8, he says, look, to this group that is in the midst of the trial, look, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, not, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Paul is affirming that although they have not seen him, they love him. Although they do not see him now, they believe in him. Although they do not see him now, they, they rejoice in him with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How, how do they do that? How do they love and believe and rejoice in a God that they do not see? Because relationship with God is not dependent upon what we see, but rather on the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that draws us ever closer to him until that day where we will stand before him and we will see him face to face. And you see, the Holy Spirit of God puts that assurance in our hearts that though we might not see him, I know him. I believe deep in my knower. I don't need to physically see him to believe. You can't talk me out of him in whom I have believed. So great a salvation that we have freely received in, in Christ Jesus. And now watch this. Look at verse 10. We're, being, we're beginning to wrap it up. You know what that means? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He says this in verse 10. Look. He says, concerning this salvation, right, the salvation that we're celebrating, rejoicing over, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. I like that. He's saying, here's what he's saying here. The prophets who spoke centuries before those Isaiahs and, 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 and Malachi's and Jeremiah's, those, they wrote stuff, right? They prophesied stuff. But they had no idea who they were prophesying about. They talked about a coming people of God. They didn't have any faces to go with that, that identity. They didn't know when they were going to come. I can only imagine what was going on in the mind of Jeremiah and as they began to prophesy about the new covenant that was going to be experienced by the church where he says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. They only knew one covenant. They only experienced one thing where he says, I'm going to put my law within their hearts. He says, I'm going to write it on the tablets of their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer will they need to worry, and no longer will they need to be taught by everybody else, but all will know me. I'm sure Jeremiah was thinking, wow, how is that possible? Who is that for? That's not the way it's always been. When is that going to take place? He says, for they shall all know me. 
When is this going to be? I, I, think of what, I think of Joel, the prophet, who begins to prophesy about this new covenant people where he says, and it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, wow, that's a very different scenario. In the Old Testament, it came upon people at specific times, prophets and priests of all men and women of God. But now Joel is prophesying about God coming upon all flesh. And he says, look, your sons and daughters, they're going to prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions even on every male and female servant in those days I will pour out my spirit and Joel's probably thinking who is this going to be when is this going to be hundreds of years before this reality takes place Hosea 2 verse 23 he talks about he says I will sow her for myself in the land look and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you now are my people. And he shall say, you're my God. Who is this group of people that are going to express that? Who are these people? When is this going to happen? Peter will write in the next chapter of this epistle that we're looking at this morning, speaking about this group of people that these prophets hundreds of years prior had no idea who they are or when they would show up on the scene. Peter writes this, are ready for this? He says, now you are a chosen race. He now begins to say, here, this is who they're talking about. You ready? You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim, that you may prophesy the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at it, listen to this, Hosea, who once were not a people but now are the people of God. Once who, who had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. I, Hosea was probably wondering, who is it? And Peter steps right in and says, you're that people. You're the chosen generation. You're the royal priesthood. You're the holy nation. You're, you're the ones who were not a people are now the people of God. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, presents the, the New Testament, New Covenant people of God. This group that Jeremiah and Joel and Hosea and so many Old Testament prophets unknowingly pointed to. However, they were given a hint. They weren't left completely in the dark. Peter will conclude this thought of, this, of these prophets. It says, it was revealed to them, who, the prophets that prophesy these things, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In other words, what was revealed to them is the words that they were talking about, the direction, the relationship, this new covenant relationship that the people of God were going to have. It was revealed to them that it was not for themselves, but for you. In the things that have now been announced to you and I as new covenant people through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Look, things into which evil angels long to look. Angels long to look. You know, when I studied this verse, I was, I was quite confident that the, that the Greek words that would be used for long to look would be the same words as long to understand or long to comprehend. I assumed that, that the angels, like the prophets, tried to understand this salvation, but that's not what it means. 
The Greek word for look here is parakutau, which means to stoop or to bend over and to watch, as to stand as a spectator. But it gets better, not just any old spectator. He said, and then we, when we look at it, it says, they long to, to look. What is this longing about? There are 10 Greek words that the English language translates long. And this one is epithemal. It is the strongest form of desire. Sometimes it's actually translated as lust. And so what he's picturing for us, what he's helping us to understand is these angels, they stop dead in their tracks and they stoop down and they desire to look into the salvation that we have been recipients of. Should we not dig deep down and to explore the depths of God's word to appreciate what Christ has done for us? Sometimes when we talk about our salvation, we just think, well, Jesus died on the cross for us, and that's good. When we understand the depths that he went to, it'll help us to understand the love that he has for us and the value that we have as his beloved. This salvation is so great, it had the prophets in awe. And the angels, they long to watch this salvation applied to the lives of spiritually previously spiritually dead people who were on their way to hell, now redeemed. Those who once were not a people, now being the people of God, and they park themselves, and they strongly desire to watch this great salvation in a person play out before their very eyes. No wonder Jesus says in Luke chapter 15 that there's more, that there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner that repents. So great a salvation. Secured for us by the coming, living, dying, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This, this salvation, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you by the power of God. May you never be unimpressed with what God has done for you. May you just, may you never settle for a sophomoric view, a kindergarten view of our salvation, but that you would dig deep into the word of God, into the riches of his grace to appreciate what he has done for you. You know, the only two places we see the angels stand in awe is at the majesty of God and at the work of God in our salvation. That's powerful. We ought to, as recipients, stand in no less awe. The longer I'm in my faith, the longer, I, I tell you what, if you would have walked by my office as I was preparing to go through this, I was like so pumped up and excited and, and just rejoicing over what God has done in this salvation of my life. And it's like, I just, and I feel like I haven't scratched the surface of trying to fully being able to understand it. And this morning we have an opportunity to stand with some of our brothers and sisters as they publicly declare their desire to be identified with this salvation that is theirs in Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna ask you to, um, as we move into our baptism portion, um, I'm gonna ask Pastor Josh if you'd come and um, 
I know our, our kids, I've invited our kids. Is that okay? I've invited our kids to come in. I think it's important for our kids to see water baptism, right? And so you're going to see a, uh, some really well-behaved, quiet, loving, beautiful, cherished <laughs> angels coming in this morning. But can we, can we just take a moment and can we just respond to this salvation that Peter writes about? Let's stand together for a moment and let's just be in the moment for a second as we prepare.